title of the message this morning we're looking at is the healthy church leadership. I, I have been just going through uh, intentionally just going straight through the through the books trying to figure out it's there. Why? And uh, what does that mean to me? And as we came as I came to this uh, section, I, I almost hesitated. I balked at it a little bit because it didn't seem at first glance to be something that would be for the church, maybe on a Sunday morning, but rather and more like I could just dismiss everybody that wasn't a Sunday school teacher, deacon, uh, committee member of some sort, uh, because we're talking about healthy church leadership. And in a, and I also thought, hey, Tim, you can give everyone the Sunday off and just preach this at yourself, because uh, you're the one who needs this the most. But uh, you didn't get my text, and so you're here, and so I'll just uh, I'll just include you in in that as well. Honestly, though, when when we think about it, and as I as I studied it deeper. I realize that this, this does have an application every single one of us. Uh, I don't want to jump ahead too much in my sermon, but I do want to remind every one of us that we have an influence, whether it be with or without a title or a position. We all have some sort of an influence. And so as we think about leadership this morning, I don't want you to think about the deacons. I don't want you to think about the Sunday school teachers. I don't want you to think about those who and within this body uh, carry a position or a title. Uh, I want you to think of those of us who have leadership. And really, that's all of us. We all have some sort of, uh, of, of an influence. Maybe that would be another, another word you could think of as we go through. How do I have influence within the church? Uh, we have several people who are visiting with us today, several guests, and I'm so glad you're here. Uh, and so I apologize for what may seem a little bit more uh, just geared toward this body, uh, but uh, I, I do believe even though as, as we are only going to focus on church leadership, there are several things in here that apply outside of the church realm, at work, at home, uh, wherever it may be. And so let me invite you to uh, join me here as we look in verse number 9, 10, and 11. There's a hypothesis that uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are all part of a bundle of letters that, uh, that John had written and, and and like I said, it's just a hypothesis. It's not it's not uh, it's not in the Bible that it's like this. So it's 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 hard to confirm this. But if we follow that line, if the reasoning behind that, then that makes Third John a personal letter to this man named Gaius, and that makes Second John a personal le- uh, a letter to Gaius's church, and then First John would have been a letter that was just intended to be read to all churches, not necessarily to a specific church. Uh, if if that is the case, then that means that Gaius belonged to the church of Second John. And if we can understand uh, all of these as one church, uh, it helps us to understand a little bit what was going on within the church and how confused they were and, and the types of problems that they had. Uh, they were guilty, as we learned about last week, or two weeks ago in Second John. They were guilty of receiving the wrong people within their church. Uh, there were, there were uh, false teachers and ministers uh, traveling, uh, what we'd understand as evangelists or missionaries, but they were teaching the wrong message about Jesus. And the church uh, that, that, uh, that John is writing to here uh, felt an obligation to receive them into the, into the mix and to let them speak their peace. Well, I guess everybody gets to have a turn to talk, and so it's this guy's turn. And uh, that, that was sending a wrong message about Christ. It would be uh, to the equivalent of if someone came from, uh, from out of town here and said, I, I don't believe in Jesus, I believe in another God, and I would like to tell you about him. And, and we said, okay, sure, you, you, you can talk this week. 
And you think, no, that, that, that's not a good place. This is not a good place for you to be, uh, for you to talk. Uh, this is our church, and this is where uh, we, we, we believe in Jesus. We believe in God, and, and we don't want uh, contrary opinions uh, to, be, to be expressed here. Because, not because uh, we, want to, uh, we, we, we don't want to have an open mind, but because we believe we have the truth, and anything other than the truth is a lie. And so that would be the, that would be the case that was going on in, in the second letter that John wrote. And if that, and if that also is the case, then if this, we're speaking of just one church, then what we see today and what we, we hinted at a little bit last week is that not only was the church in, in guilty of not receiving or the, receiving the wrong ones, they were guilty in rejecting the right ones. As we looked at a little bit last week, a healthy soul in how uh, that really is what matters the most. It doesn't matter about your financial status, your uh, relationships, your, your job success, the title that you, the promotion that you may or may not get at work. Uh, it, it really matters about your, your soul. Well, they, uh, there, were, there were missionaries coming through, and they were preaching the truth, and this church here uh, was having a problem receiving them. And so in the first part of John's letter, we learn about this man named Gaius, this, to whom the letter is written. And as we looked at last week, he had a healthy soul, a prosperous soul. We saw it in verse 2. John said, I, belo- I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. So he, he wished for Gaius to enjoy financial prosperity that matched his soul's health. And I asked the question last week, if that were to be the case for us, how empty or how full would our bank account be? If it matched the wealth and health of my soul, would I be penniless or would I be overflowing with money? If my physical health matched my soul health, what would things look like for me then? But and, and, uh, and aside from whatever financial or material or social prosperity Gaius enjoyed, we don't know much about him. We do know he had a healthy soul. But we read about another man, and that's the man we focus on this morning. In verses 9, 10, and 11, we read about Diotrephes. And And though there are only three verses mentioned of him, there is so much said about him in this short little passage. He was quite the opposite from Gaius. He had not a healthy soul. I suppose that he must have had some sort of position within the church because we read about some of the things that he was doing that he couldn't have done had he been just a guest. Uh, he, He wasn't just a fringe member of the church. I believe he was a man of influence. He was a man of position. And the reason that I'm, I'm, I'm extending this to everybody and not just the people within the church that carry a title or position is because we don't know if, if Diotrephes had a title. He might have just been a man. You know, you, know, you know what it's like. I mean, most of you, you've been coming here all your life, and there are certain people, they don't need a title. Their word carries, or their, or their vote, or their opinion carries a lot of weight. Uh, with, and it's not just within church, within a small town, you know. Uh, only a few people have the title, but what so-and-so thinks really matters. And that person has sway. They can pull a lot of people their, their way, even though they don't have an official title or an official position, they have influence. And all of us have that. All, uh, we're, we're all, we all have family that we influence. We all have uh, maybe people within a Sunday school class that we influence. I remember when I was a, when I was a kid in junior church, uh, one, one, one Sunday, my, my, uh, my, my junior church teacher asked us to write down who we looked up to the most in church. And so we, we all wrote down, we're all little kids, you know, junior age kids, and we wrote down. And then they, uh, the, the junior church teacher gave them to the pastor, my dad, and he used it in a sermon 
and he read these names. He said, uh, I want to let you know that the little guys in junior church just, read, uh, just wrote down who influenced them the most. I want to tell you who they read. And began to read off names, and it wasn't deacons. It was teenagers. It was the little kids looking at teenagers going, I want to be like him. Do you remember, do you remember when you were so little that teenagers looked so mature and so on top of everything? And then when you got that age, you're like, I want to go and tell every junior age kid to stop because I have no idea what I'm doing. But then what, what we did as teenagers, we looked at the 20-somethings because they have it all together. They're married now or they have kids now and they're, they have arrived. And then when you reach 20, you're like, no, I have no idea. And then you look at 30-somethings because now they're finally mature. They have the youth, but they have the wisdom until you hit 30 and you realize everyone still treats you like a little kid. I was just at the, uh, the, the nursing home the other day and visiting Alice Warner and, and uh, one of her nurses came in and, and Alice introduced me as her pastor and she did a double take and she looked at me and I said, I know, I know. I said, how old do I look? She's like, 12. I'm like, well, I'm older than 12, you know. Uh, and I was talking to a, a pastor this week and he's like, yeah, one thing you don't have on your side is age. I said, well, that's why I grow a beard because it gives me like six more months of age because uh, if I shave it off, then it put me in the nursery, make me go to Tots Church or something. And they always told me that I would appreciate that one day when I got older. I haven't reached that point yet. But, you know, when you turn 30, you think about, well, maybe when I'm 40 and people start treating me like a man, you know. But I, I have a sneaky suspicion I'm not there yet, folks. I'm, I'm not quite at 40, believe it or not. Uh, the, the older we get, the more we realize the people that I used to look up to probably didn't have any idea what they were doing. Do you remember as a child thinking, you know, resting in the fact that your parents were going to take care of everything? And then balancing that with the fact that when you had a child and realizing how out of control and how, how much it was like throwing a dart blindfolded at this parenting thing, trying to figure out, how, how do you do this? I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just making, making every step at a time, and it's day by day. And I'm fortunate that you don't remember much of your childhood because uh, you would be traumatized severely if you knew all the mistakes that I made. Uh, and and it's just, it is just that way in life. Well, we all have this influence. The reason I, I'm a big rabbit trail, to get back to influence. We all have an influence, regardless of how old we are, regardless of how, how, um, how, much, how important you think you are in this church. There is someone looking at you and maybe even thinking of you right now, going, yeah, I look up to that person. Many of you have told me, specifically, people that you look up to in this church uh, for whatever reason, uh, and, and you look at their, the way that they, they, they manage their, their, their marriage or the way that they've raised their children or the way that they are faithful in church or maybe you've prayed with them and said, man, I wish I had a walk with God like that. Whatever it may be, you don't need the title to have the influence. But, and so that's why we're looking at this man, Diotrephes. We know he had some kind of an influence, but we don't know really what. We know he had some sort of a, of a, of a power, but, he, but we don't know how he got that power. We just know he was a man of great influence. Whatever his title or position, though, we read that he had uh, abused this considerable influence. We look in verse number 9. Let's just peel apart the layers of the, of the, of the problems that Diotrephes causes. It says in verse number 9 that John had written a letter to the church. We don't know which letter that was. It could have been a fourth letter that's not included. It could have been the second letter of John. It could have been first letter, all five chapters of First John, as he taught the people to love. But whatever that letter was, Diotrephes intercepts it and wouldn't allow it to be read to the church. It says, he, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, 
who loveth to have preeminence among them receiveth us not. He wouldn't that, that that receiveth us not. He's saying there he didn't accept. He didn't acknowledge my authority as an apostle. I am. Uh, we don't have apostles today, but in those days they they, they would have had some authority as Jesus had given them special uh, uh, miracle working powers to uh, to be able to to. Uh, draw an emphasis to Jesus and to draw people's minds. And they were, as we're reading through Acts, we see a lot of the, of the, 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 the abilities that Jesus had given them. He doesn't give us abilities to do like that today. There are no apostles uh, like in the Bible today. But John, so John had that apostle, apostolic authority. And there were others. There were many. There were actually more than 12 that, uh, that had this apostle uh, uh, power, this apostolic authority. And yet Diotrephes was one. Maybe it was sour grapes. I don't get to be an apostle, so I'm not going to treat anybody like an apostle. But he wouldn't let it be received. Uh, Diotrephes, it also tells us that he put himself first in front of the whole church. He, he loves to have the preeminence. It's all about him. He was always the one. I want to sing the solo. Can you sing? I don't care. I want to be in front of everybody. I want to have the spotlights on me. I want to be the center of attention wherever I am. I speak up the loudest at the meetings. I sing the loudest in church, not because my heart is full of praise, but because my heart is full of pride. And I want you to hear me and see me and look at me. And, 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 and I want you to think, wow, look at him, whether maybe you're thinking that or not. You're still looking at me and I'm feeding my ego. Very proud, very selfish man. Wouldn't acknowledge John's authority or the apostles' authority. And in fact, it said that in verse, in verse number 10, he says, wherefore, if I come... John's saying, so if I, can, if I can get there to you guys, I will remember his deeds which he doeth. I'm gonna, I'll remember what he does. And I'm going to bring that up. Notice what he's doing. Prating against us with malicious words. Speaking ill, slandering, criticizing uh, John and the other apostles. John says, it's not just me, it's us. He, John, this man, he doesn't acknowledge our authority. And that's fine if, that wants, if you want that to be your opinion. But he's spreading that. He's spreading nonsense about us. Spreading lies and criticizing us to the church in trying to lessen our, uh, the, our reputation in their eyes. And, and, John, and John says this is, this is wrong. Uh, this is the portrait of an unhealthy soul. He, he, not only did he do that, it says that um, not content therewith, verse 10, neither doth he himself receive the brethren. These missionaries that, that John had commended Gaius for receiving, they were coming through and they wouldn't collect anything from the Gentiles. They wouldn't make a buck off of the people they were trying to help. Uh, they, they would only live on the support of the, of the churches that would uh, give to them and support them on their way. And Diotrephes was not one of these guys that would help. And when they would come in, he said, no, no, you're outsiders. We're not helping you. But notice it gets worse. Because not only would he not help them, it says he forbiddeth them that would. He didn't want anyone else to help. So this tells me the guy had some kind of influence. These last two things, forbidding and the next one, tells me that this man was a powerful man within the church. I don't want to help these outside missionaries, and I'm forbidding the rest of you to do that. But not only that did he forbid it, notice what he did to those who stepped outside of his authority. He casted them out of the church. Can you imagine being excommunicated from the church? Church discipline. Folks, we're having a church discipline meeting and we're bringing up so-and-so and, -and, -so, and uh, here are the charges brought against him. He gave to missions. We're going to boot him out of the church. We're voting him out because he helped a missionary. Can you believe that? I mean, if you were sitting in that business meeting going, wait a minute, 
Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Isn't that the point of our church? I mean, isn't that, you know, we have a missions committee meeting and and aren't we supposed to be spending money on missionaries? No, 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 no. See, I didn't approve of this man and I don't approve of you giving to this man and anybody who gives to this man, you're going to be kicked out of our church. That's a big deal during that time. It wasn't like in our day where you have other options. This was likely the only church option available to those people in that area. And so to be kicked out of that church would be like being kicked out of your family. You have nowhere else to go. You're on your own now. And Diotrephes, a very self-consumed, very uh, insecure leader, uh, treats the people this way. Obviously, he abused his power. And while he may have had position and authority in the church, we see that he had a very unhealthy, unprosperous soul. And so John says, I'm going to bring up this matter on my next visit. And what he does is he calls this behavior evil. Notice in verse number 11, he says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil. I just told you all the nasty things that Diotrephes is doing. Not because I'm angry at him, but because I want you to recognize it is it, what it is. It is for what it is. It's evil. It's wickedness. It's sin. It's wrong. And he says, Gaius, don't follow after his example. Don't follow that. That's evil. That's wickedness. That is, that is of the devil, if you will. He's saying, follow that which is good. You need, to, uh, you need to follow the right example. You need to develop and exhibit a pattern of good Christianity rather than whatever this type of Christianity Diotrephes is trying to display. And then in his closing lines, John endorses or vouches for this third man named Demetrius. I believe that Demetrius is probably the courier of these letters, either Third John or all three, that he was the one that brought them. He would have been the postman. John wrote the letters, gave them to Demetrius, and Demetrius would have received him. And it's likely that John needed to uh, endorse him in some way because of the fact uh, how this church treated outsiders. And so John's got to say, listen, guys, he's okay. Notice what he says about him. He says in verse 11, uh, in verse 12, Demetrius had a good report of all men. He gives him three qualifications here. He says he has a good report of all men, or good testimony by all people. Number two, of the truth itself. He says the truth even says that this is that he's a good man. But he says also, we also bear record, and you know that our record is true. John says, I endorse this man. Thank goodness we're out of the political season. But you know, every time you watch a political uh, commercial, at the very end, my name is such and such, and I approve this message. I think, yeah, the whole thing had your name plastered on it. We figured. I mean, you're not going to... No one else, your, 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 your competitor didn't do it for you. Of course you did. But they got to put that stamp on there saying, my name is Tim Mingy and I approve this message. And that's what John is saying. Here's Demetrius. I approve of him. I endorse him. He's got my vote. Okay, political season just finished. Again, thank the Lord. But you, you, you noticed how many different people that weren't running for office said something about one of the candidates. They said, I'm voting for such and such. Why did they do that? Because they have an influence. Their people that followed them, they, they, they knew, if I tell them which direction I'm going, I will help my candidate, whoever I'm supporting, by, draw, by leading my followers that way too. And that's what John is doing. That's what Diotrephes was doing. Diotrephes was saying, I don't endorse this. Don't follow after him. If you do, I'm going to kick you out. But John was saying, Gaius is, guys, Demetrius is a good man. All these traveling missionaries, if they speak the truth, 
are good people and we need to endorse them. We need to support them. We know that they're not taking money from anyone else. They need us. And so though a stranger to Gaius, John knew and approved and wrote as much about Demetrius. And therefore, Gaius would do well to receive him. And John closes with a final thought at the very end of the verse. I almost, I almost didn't, even, didn't even, it didn't click until just a couple of days ago as I was reading this again. He says, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to be, be to thee, our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. If you read through the Bible, you, you, you kind of pick up this pattern of how they wrote these letters, and they kind of use the last several verses, you just kind of, you know, that's how, they, that's how they wrote sincerely, except they just wrote it in a, lot, in a paragraph. Uh, and we write, sincerely, Tim, they wrote, I hope to see you, blah, 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 da, 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 I'll see you at Christmas, blah, blah, blah. Peace be to thee, you know, what did he say? Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee, uh, greet the friends by name. But it struck me as I read it just a couple of days ago that he uses this word friends twice. Because he, he, this is his final thought, his final almost aside, a backhanded instruction to, to Gaius relating to these Christian brothers and sisters. Demetrius, uh, the traveling missionaries, whether the ones he knew and the ones he didn't know, he said they are our friends. They're not the enemy. Just because you don't know them, just because they don't go to your church, just because they don't live in your town, just because they talk differently, they act differently, they dress differently. Think about it. In those days, they would have come with a very... Uh, it'd be like when someone from the deep south comes up here. I'm not talking about Florida because that's not really in the south. I'm talking about the actual south where they talk funny. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever been down south and they look at you thinking you talk funny? Because they're like, Yankee, right? But, uh, uh, and I'm from the northwest and we don't, we don't, we don't have any kind of accent. Uh, but uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. My dad is from the South. He's been, he's been living in the Northwest for like 30 years, and he still has a Southern drawl every once in a while. He'll, he'll draw something out every once in a while, and people will go, oh, you're from the South. Uh, anybody ever been to New York City? You ever talked to someone in New York City? And you're like, uh, can you repeat that? And then they say it again, but they say it at hyperspeed. You're like, uh, I had no idea what you said. I was trying, I was there uh, on my senior trip. I was trying to buy a, a subway ticket. And I, had, I was asking her, how much is it? And she said something, and I didn't get it. And I asked her to repeat it, and she got mad because she knew what she said. And so she said it again, and just as fast. I'm like, Here's my money. Just please get I just want a subway ticket. You know, I don't, don't kill me, please. Don't beat me up. Just give me a subway ticket. That's all I wanted. But I couldn't understand them. And, and when, they, when those types of people come around, like, hmm, look at that person. There's an outsider. Hmm. I remember when I first moved here, just walking up and down the streets. Everybody knows who lives in Sherman, New York. And when you're a stranger... You stand out like stranger right on your T-shirt, and I'm walking them down the street. People slowing down, looking at me. Who's that guy? Calling their friends. Hey, there's someone. There's someone coming down the street. Who's this guy? You know. By the time I, I've had a full FBI background check before I get to the end of the street, because news travels. And those of you who know what I'm talking about, you lived here or you're visiting here. Uh, you know, news travels. Everyone knows about you before you get here. They know more about you than you know more about you, because that's just how it goes. Here in this church, there's a lot, there must be a lot of people coming through, and John has to remind him, listen, folks, if they're brothers in Christ, they're our friends. They're not the enemy. They look different, they act different, they talk different, but because they're in Christ, they're our friends. I want you to greet them. I want you to receive them. I want you to support them. That's the letter. Again, as I said, though, how does that make sense to us? What does that do for us? Real quickly, I have five uh, statements that I want to make with, with a little bit of explanation to each one of them. I put them in there for you, and uh, my wife said, there's too much stuff in here, and uh, she, I told her not to write so much for my sermon. 
but uh, she uh, apparently she wanted me to say it. Anyways, those, you may not get it, but uh, I write my own stuff. Uh, exactly what my wife tells me to write. But uh, no, I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I don't do it. Oh, number one, let me let me let's look at this application. How does this affect our church? How does this affect the church today? How does this affect Sherman, New York? Sherman First Baptist Church. Number one, leaders should not isolate those they lead from the outside world. It's a sign of insecurity. It's a sign of selfishness. But they should not keep their followers to themselves. While we must guard against welcoming and receiving the false teachers and doctrine into our church, we must not block out every teacher. Isolation is not healthy for either the church of God because it breeds unhealthy souls. Think about that church and what that must have been like. If the leadership looks like diatrophies, what must the followership look like? I even wonder if Gaius had had recently been excommunicated from this church because he was one who would help them. He had the healthy soul, and so we don't want one of them around here. Get him out of the church. He's too healthy for us. We just want unhealthy, bitter, selfish people. But it's also bad for the kingdom of God because it stifles missions and prevents fulfillment of the Great Commission. 1 John told us that we must recognize the spirit of a message and its messenger. Second John tells us that we must then weed out those false teachers and messages. But third John reminds us that that's not enough. We must then support and receive those who do spread the truth. You see how all three letters really coincide. The first one says, this is how to identify it. Now once you've identified it, second John says, get rid of the bad. And third John says, now you've got to do something with what you have left, the good. You've got to support them. The leaders should not isolate those they lead from the outside world. Number two, leaders should lead without pride and jealousy and self-promotion, insecurity and personal agendas. It's a lot of stuff, but they're all important. These are bad qualities for leaders to have within the church and outside the church. Maybe you've worked for a boss like that before. Insecure boss who didn't, as soon as you did something good, you got in trouble because he didn't want to be out, he didn't want to, uh, you to outshine him. Uh, the, the idea of pride, it's all about me. It's, I'm, I'm jealous of the attention that you might get and so they, 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 they prop themselves up more or you know, push those further down so that they can uh, not share the spotlight with anyone. But with that attitude, especially within the church, we try to impose personal will and agenda on the entire group. Think about it with me as an example. If I am this type of person, if I'm insecure, if I'm proud, if I'm selfish, if I'm like the Archivist, I want to have the preeminence, then I am going to try to force my will upon the church here. And what I say, I'm going to try to impose that on you. And if there's not people to stand up and say, you can't do that, then I'm going to sway an entire congregation to go my way and look at what I do and do it my way. Don't care what they say. Don't care what they say. I don't care what this says. I want you to listen what I say. That's very unhealthy. That's very, it's very, uh, very dangerous. Church leaders must remember that it's not about them or any person for that matter. Listen, listen, church, this church is not about me. This church is not about you. This church is not even about us. This church is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That means that my agenda doesn't matter. That means that your plans for this church don't matter. That means that what we sit around and decide doesn't matter. It matters what we as a church are doing as led by the Spirit of God. 
I know we gather together and we try to make plans and we try to figure out this is what our church should do. But only as the Spirit directs us, only as we feel this is what God would have us to do. I'm sure you've seen churches where they say, well, you know, we, they're all in agreement, but it's not with what God wants. You know, we're going to do it our way and, and we're happy with it, but they're not doing what God wants them to do. And then the problem is that, that nothing's happening for the glory of God there because it's all about a personal or we could call it a collective personal agenda. Number three, the church should not be exclusively focused. I said it just now on a personal mission or agenda. The church should be about God's agenda. What does God want? What is God's plan for First Baptist Church in 2017. What does God have in mind? You know, I've got a lot of ideas. I've got a lot of dreams or vision or whatever you want to call it that I would love to see happen here for a long time. It's only been like a year, but that's a long time. I've been wanting to see more people getting involved with the music. And you know what? We have we have had more people getting involved with the music. We want more, okay? I would love to pack the place out Everyone just bring your stuff and play right in your pew. Uh, but I just I love music. You know, that would be, it's awesome. It's wonderful. As a, as a, as a dream, I said, I want to have that. Uh, you, you don't know how blessed we are to have a church with so many musicians within it. So many churches just locally. I've talked to the pastors and say, we don't even have one pianist. We sing a cappella. Uh, I've been to a church where the pianist knew one song. And we just sang that song. But we sang different words to it. But, you know, it's hard to sing everything to Amazing Grace. You know, and it's not, it's not uplifting. You're, if, you're, if you're musical, you're thinking, this is not leading me to God. This is like, what's going on here? You know, we're lu- we're, 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 I say we're lucky. We're blessed. We have, uh, we've, God has given us those things. Uh, that, but that's a, that, was a, that was a dream that I, I, I wanted to see. And, and, and there's others. But, you know, it doesn't matter what my dreams and my visions are. It doesn't matter what ours are. It matters... What does God want done in this church? What does God want for the church to do? He wants them to spread the gospel and win. But specifically, this local church, what is God's plan for Sherman, New York? Number four, with or without position or title, it is every Christian's responsibility to follow and imitate good Christian practices. Here's where it hits you. I don't know what your title is. I don't know what your position is. You say, I'm not even a member of this church. That's okay. It is your responsibility to practice good Christian uh, acts. Uh, that's, what, that's what John was telling Gaius there. Don't follow the evil. Follow the good. It's your responsibility. Guys, I don't know what your title is anymore. Maybe you got kicked out of the church, but it's your responsibility to imitate the good rather than the evil. Doing good, as he tells us there, he that doeth good is of God. Doing good is the result of being from God. We saw that several times as we studied First John. How do you know that you're? How do you show that you're of God? One of the ways is how you live, how I love my brother, and how I do good, how I keep God's commandments. And number five, we are not in competition with those who do not belong to our church. I think about Diotrephes, who only wanted to keep it us four, no more, and. Honestly, that's probably what's going to happen if the church continues with that attitude is that they're going to dwindle down into that little group. We see, uh, we see churches all across, uh, all across America uh, closing their doors for the final time. And some of that, not all of that, is for, that, is for this type of reason because they, they, they try to do it their way rather than what God, what God would want. Our goal is not to be the biggest church in this town. 
Our goal is not to build this church with lots of other discontented Christians who have who have uh, said, well, uh, I didn't like what he said this week, so I'm going to come here and, because one day they're not going to like what I want. Uh, now, th- that, that's, that's, that's not a bad thing. You've got to have a place to go, and sometimes churches uh, change, and I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about uh, we're not trying to be the biggest so we can be the biggest. We're not trying to be the biggest. Uh, we're trying to do what God wants us to do here. And, you know, it's not a competition. It's not, it's not a contest. God's not giving a prize to the church that had the most attendances uh, or big, the highest attendance that year or had the most people get baptized that year. There's not prizes for those things. We're not in a contest. That means that other Christians are not our enemy. I know you know it, but I'm just going to say it. You can be a Christian and not belong to Sherman First Baptist Church. I just want that to be said, okay? It is, it is allowed. You are allowed to go to heaven and be a believer in Jesus and not attend this church. Okay, that's a silly statement, but it's amazing how many churches don't feel that way. And they may not say it that way, but when someone leaves their church, we looked at the verse in 1 John, they went out from us because they were not of us. They say, yeah, see, look at that. There's a person left our church. They must not be saved. No, that's not what he's talking about. But that's how they interpret that. That's how they say it. And what they're saying is, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be a, your, member, your name's going to be on this membership roller. And it's not how it works. We have see we have to get these things down in, in, in our understanding because that means that our goal is not to get people to come to this church. The goal of this church is not to get people to come to this church. The goal of this church is not to uh, if, if that was the goal, then when people left this church, we failed. If that was the goal, then when people uh, when we have a full auditorium, that's all we're trying to do. But the goal is something much greater than a, than a number. The goal is so much greater than having lots of money in the account or having lots of programs and ministries because we can afford to do that now. The goal is, is, is different. The goal is much more heavenly. The goal is what God wants. People are not obligated to join up with us. They're obligated to join up with Christ. Think about the story when Jesus was with his disciples and the disciples came and said, Hey, uh, Jesus, we just want to let you know we saw some people casting out devils in your name. But we told them to stop because they weren't with us. And Jesus said, don't do that. He said, if they're not against me, they're for me. It's not about us. It's about him. Where do they line up with him? Because I happen to line up with him. And if you line up with him, we can get along. In fact, we are co-laborers. In fact, we are brothers. In fact, we're friends. Because we have the same goal. It's all about Him. I don't want my agenda or my will to get in the way of what God wants to do in this church. And I hope that that would be the same for you. You know, we have, we have, uh, we have a years and years and years of tradition and, and, and good practices here and, things have, and lots of success. But we don't want any of those things to get in the way and say, well, you know what? Uh, as long as I'm here, it'll never be like this. Wait a minute. What, about, what if God wanted something different? I'm not talking about, oh, we're canceling church and we're going to all go to the water park on Sundays. I'm not talking about those things. Don't, don't get all crazy. Some of you are like, oh no, what's going on? That's not what we're talking about. But what if God said, hey, I, I, this is my plan for the church. How would we feel about that? And say, well, that doesn't fit my plans, God. That's not really what I had in mind. Wait a minute. Who, who's, whose church is this? Is this my church? Is this your church? Is this our church? No. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. His belongs to Him. 
me ask the question then. I ask the question to myself and I ask you. Who has the preeminence in this church? Who do we come for? Do we come to be seen? To make someone so we don't feel guilty because other people saw us at church? Do we come so that other people will be, you know, sometimes you go to places and everyone's dressed to the, to the nines because I got a, it's a fashion show. And church becomes a fashion contest. And obviously not in Sherman. Nobody, nobody uh, you know, comfortable in your jeans and boots. And I love that. That's awesome. Uh, that, but, you know, you know, come and impress people. Who has the preeminence? Who has the spotlight? You know, we have a lot of great people that come up and they'll stand here in the pulpit or stand over there and they'll sing a song. They're not doing it for themselves. I hope not. It's not the point of it. You know, I, I, I study hard. I, I, I research and study and, and all these things to get to, to, to preach a sermon. You know, but that's not, I hope that's not why you came either, to hear me, to see me. The preeminence, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that, in him, that, that he may have the preeminence in all things, especially in this church, especially in this moment, our hearts must be drawn to God. Let me ask this question too then. What am I doing to promote God's agenda for this church? That's what I ask myself. As the pastor of this church, what am I doing to promote God's agenda for this church? And then the next logical question was, do I even know what God's agenda for this church is? Do I know what God's plan for this church is? I could be really vague and say, yeah, uh, love people. But let's, let's put the, but when you really have, let's put it down on paper. What does God want for this church? What is it? Do you, do you know? What are you doing to help God's plan further the kingdom of God in Sherman, New York? What are you doing? Do you know what God wants to do in Sherman, New York? The big questions we must ask because we can't really do it if we don't know what it is. This is, this is these are thoughts that, that, that Diotrephes missed. And church became all about himself. I hope you're here so that you can see me. I hope that you're here so that uh, you can be seen. I hope that uh, we have good singing today because it's embarrassing when other people don't, when, when, when it's not good. I, I hope the preaching is good today because, because it's an embarrassment to me. No, no, no. Forget about all that diatrophies. Focus on Jesus. I think Gaius had the idea. John was trying to get that idea across in his letters to the other churches, but somehow diatrophies, whether it was through selfishness, because of his pride, because of his insecurity, because he just didn't want, he wanted to do it his way. I don't know why, but this is his problem. Folks, it's, it's, a, it's a, like I said, it, it's almost like what I would consider like a business meeting type of a sermon. Uh, but it's so important that we as a church understand what God wants to do here. And it may be comfortable. It may be uncomfortable. It may go along with what we wanted to do and it may go a whole different direction, and we're like, oh, this is this kind of put me out of my comfort zone a little bit. Eh, this is a little bit awkward. This is a little bit weird. What is what are we here for anyway? What does God want to see done in this church this year? If we could bring God appear before us and say, God, what do you want us to do this year for you? What would he tell us? If he told us. Would we be willing to do it? We have to ask ourselves these questions and come to an honest answer. I hope that I could speak for us as a church and say, God, whatever you want us to do, we're on board. In fact, we're going to try so hard to find out what you want 
that we may actually have to worry about going ahead of you so much because we are so excited to do your work that you may have to say, whoa, 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 slow down. Don't get ahead of me. Rather than God going, come on, come on. I, I really want to do something here if you get on board. I hope that I could speak for this church and say, Man, we, are, we are itching to get busy for God. We have to ask ourselves each day, am I, am I, do I know what God wants and am I willing to do whatever God wants?